Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions, an opportunity for you to get a seat at the table. Today we hear from Brian Fanzo, a digital futurist who's empowering entrepreneurs and helping them build wealth while doing what they love. Make sure we're downloading, subscribing, and sharing out the Breakfast with Champion podcast because Glenn Lundy believes that if you can change the way people start their day, it'll make a massive impact in their life. So let's pull up a seat and let's join in on Breakfast with Champions. And understanding the importance of evolving and even the importance of kind of uh, the path that we are taking and not always the path that we believed we are taking, uh, we were we were destined to take, but along the way, kind of figuring out this entire journey. And for me, I think the place I want to take us back and, and really, you know, kind of put into a little perspective is, you know, for me as as someone that you know, uh, growing up and and looking at things, I want us to to think in our in our own journey. And everyone here listening this morning, I want you to think back in your journey throughout life. Throughout, you know, we can think about it through. Uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, university, and and beyond. I think there are some beautiful elements of our past that we oftentimes overlook or we we take for granted until we sit in things that we are either successful or failing at along the way. And and for me, the, a lot of a lot of that actually happened on a, a day. It was a, a beautiful 114 degrees uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, where I was living at the time. And I ha- was heading to the, the doctor's office uh, because I was having some trouble turning off my brain. I think there's some entrepreneurs here that uh, can uh, attest to that idea of, you know, for years laying down in, in bed and uh, not being able to turn off my brain. And I remember. I got to go into a, a doctor's office and, and have uh, a conversation with a doctor. And I left that doctor's office, and that day will change my life forever. And I didn't go there to get my life changed. I didn't go there for someone to open my eyes to things that maybe the self-talk that I realized that uh, I didn't realize that I was having. And I didn't go there for a look back into my own journey, my own life to, you know, really assess the things that, that had impacted me. But I did go there, you know, seeking and with an open mind. And I think that's where I, I start this idea is that I think, you know, as we look at life, as we look at the opportunities in front of us, I believe one of the most important aspects of these life-changing moments is that we, we walk into opportunities not only with you know our own you know opinions, uh, and I'm a big believer in you know having strong opinions that are loosely held, and I think with strong opinions loosely held and a mindset open to what is possible and open to new ideas, fresh conversations, it can really change and allow us to evolve in ways that we don't see coming. And for me, that day, that day. Uh, in Arizona, it was about nine years ago, actually nine years ago uh, at the end of this month, uh, was a day that I was, I realized a that I was not broken, I was just different. It was the day I was diagnosed ADHD. I was 31, I was married with two children, a third one on the way. I worked for the US government in cybersecurity. I ran a team of 19 employees, uh, direct employees to me. We had 132 people on our team. We ran a $19.9 million a year budget. I was traveling at the time to 54 countries. 
uh, every U.S. military base uh, across the country, working with different uh, you know, military members on uh, not only embracing cybersecurity policies, but then briefing the uh, ranking officials at each base on the importance of collaboration across uh, you know, military lines. And I will tell you, anyone who's worked in collaboration, I, I like to always argue I might have had one of the, the hardest collaboration jobs there was possible, as my job was to get the Army to share cybersecurity policies with the Navy. Uh, I know we would probably have some ex-military in the house, so I want to first off say a big shout out and thank you to all those in the military, all of those families in the military, all of those that have uh, made sacrifices in the military. I, I didn't have the honor of serving. I had the honor of, of being in the government and working uh, alongside of so many of those military members. And, and you know, and I had that. That was my role. That was my job. I walked into that doctor's office, and with from the outside, there was definitely the illusion that I had my things together and and Brian was successful. Yet, as I, I mentioned there, uh, I walked into that doctor's office feeling for 31 years of my life that I was broken, that I was, um, something was wrong with me. Uh, I was the kid in school since my earliest days of, of memory that uh, I had perfect attendance throughout school, middle, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school. Uh, I was the kid that every single teacher would look forward to having, to having me in their class at the beginning of the year. And about week two, they realized that I was going to be put in a different chair in different locations around the class. I was the kid that would say, Brian, if you could just pay attention. Or I would often hear things like, Brian, imagine if you applied yourself. You know, little things along the way where someone would tell me, you know, ask questions. And I would, I would start to have to, you know, recognize that there were things that I was just not able to do that the everyday person could do. Some of them were you know, reading a book and not getting distracted, sitting in class and listening to a, a, a teacher uh, share about something that I cared about and yet not daydream out the window or doodle on my pad or to every student that ever sat around me, you know, tap on the back of their chair or push my feet up and down. And for me, growing up, that was, that was something I always struggled with. I struggled with this idea of why could I not be normal? Why could I not do what every other person could do? Why can I not do these basic things that, that it looks like everyone else are doing very easily and normal? And unfortunately, even success along that way has its own, you know, has its own really impact on us if we aren't believing that we, can, we are like our best selves. And I say that because you know, as I look at back on our journey, and I think we can all start to assess Part of that diagnosis at 31 years old, being told that I was ADHD and I need to get tested for a dyslexia, was for many people. I, I I think there's a there's a sense of relief, and I and I felt the relief. I I remember what clothes I was wearing. I know where my Jeep was put parked. I remember the feeling sitting in that in that Jeep, you know, after the doctor's office, not because I was going to be medicated, and not because. Um, all of a sudden, this, this diagnosis was going to change my life in a way that um, I was going to figure everything out. But it was really this permission, this idea that I'm, I, I'm not broken. And I believe for all of us, there are things in our lives, things we've been told, people that have said things about what we're doing. And, 
and inferred that maybe we are broken or we're that word I don't like crazy or we're someone that is lost. And I think you know, as we heard Glenn sharing on the evolution of not only Rise and Grind and Breakfast and Champions, but evolution uh, of Glenn Lundy, the evolution of so many amazing champions here on stage, I look often into my own individual evolution in a sense that says, how do I move forward and, and take what I do great and who I am at my core and lean into that and lean into it beyond being just the fact that, hey, I am a little bit different. And for me, part of that, that mantra came out that when I was diagnosed ADHD and on that day nine years ago, I made it my mission, my mission, to make it something that I was not going to apologize for. Because I've been, I've been apologizing my entire life, apologizing for being the kid that raised his hand for every single question that was asked by the teacher. Like, I was that kid. You know, we've all had, I, you can all picture this class, right? The class where the teacher would say, all right, I would like someone to raise their hand. Anyone but Fanzo? Can someone, uh, who, wants, who wants to answer this? Anyone but Fanzo? But the little did I know, the reason I was raising my hand was not because I wanted to be that annoying kid or that kid that knew everything, but it was a coping mechanism that I was using to pay attention in class so that I didn't lose focus. It was a coping mechanism in many ways to disguise the fact that I didn't do my homework, but I probably knew the answer to more of the questions than those that did their homework. And as I look in life and we look at our journey, I also remember feeling at 31 years old, why did no one see this? How did no one along the way tell me that, hey, there could be something wrong in your brain. Your brain might be just different. Your brain might be wired a little bit different. Because here's the thing, growing up for me, I was very blessed. I had two parents that instilled in me without question that my value, who I was, and, and really why people loved me and, and, and why I became the person that I was, was growing into was because I was unapologetically myself. My family grew up, I was, I was that kid that was not afraid to be in every group along the way. In high school, I was a thespian trying out for plays. I was the star catcher of the baseball team. I was the DJ at a skating rink. I was the president of the typing club. Yes, you heard that name drop right there, typing club. Uh, that's actually how I became a computer science major. As I, in Virginia Beach, Virginia, I won the typing competition. I realized, oh, I could do this computer thing. And for me, throughout my life, my parents really instilled in this idea of we're okay with whatever you're choosing to do as long as you're choosing it for who you are, Brian. And I will say the interesting aspect of that is even having parents that were helping me see the importance of being myself and being different, we all know how it is being kids. I dropped my 11-year-old daughter off at middle school yesterday for, the, for her start on the middle school journey. <laughs> and I, I sat in that parking lot after I dropped my daughter off and was like, man, I mean, think back about middle school, right? All of the things that happen in middle school. And I, I don't know about you, I, I, I didn't have a bad middle school, but I, I surely would not sign up to go back to middle school right now. <laughs> That's for sure. I would not sign up to go back there. And as I dropped my daughter off to go to middle school, you know, I, it hit me that she's 11 years old. And I, I mentioned before, I was diagnosed at 31 years old, uh, ADHD. 
And it was four years later, uh, having a conversation with my parents at their house in Arizona, that my mom said that she was you know, going through some old records and talking to some old friends, and she needed to share something with me. And the interesting thing was, you know, as I looked at this journey of self-discovery, I, I found I, I was on stage in San Francisco a couple years after I was diagnosed, and I was answering questions in front of about 20,000 people at a very large event called VM World, and I had just given a talk on the importance of cross-generational communication and the idea that we have to not only respect our elders but respect others' opinions and the importance of empathy. And I got a question about how I present, how I talk, and someone mentioned, Brian, uh, you know, it was a question from the audience and I was on stage and they mentioned something about, you know, how do I keep track about what I'm talking about and how do I, how do I lean in, I, you know, I talk fast and I'm moving my hands a lot and someone said, you know, you must, you know, have ADHD or something. And I'll tell you, up until that day, you know, I, I was very proud about being diagnosed with ADHD. That day changed my life. But it was not something that I owned. It was not something that I put out to the world. Uh, you know, as we look at our vulnerabilities, we look at the things that define us. That does not mean that it's easy for us to tell others about that or to understand how we will be judged. And on that day, without even thinking much, I replied to that question. So, oh, you're actually right. I was diagnosed ADHD about three years ago and uh, put on uh, medication. I'm on Adderall. And uh, I've started to realize that my ADHD is actually part of my superpowers. And I've realized that, you know, for 31 years of my life, the things that I assumed, uh, you know, were part of what made me broken were also part of what made me successful. And I, I kind of answered that question, and I, and I got off stage. And as I got off stage, you know, there, as a speaker, there's a long line of people that are waiting in line to, you know, give hugs and selfies and, and ask questions. And for those that haven't been back to an event yet, you know, there is something uh, powerful when we get back off those stages and we meet people in person. And I was standing there along this, this long line of people that were waiting in line to ask questions. And one by one, you know, I had given a 60-minute keynote. I did 30 minutes of Q&A. I answered one question where I mentioned and admitted that I was diagnosed ADHD. And I'll say of the 60 or so people that were asking me questions there at the end, I would say 59 of them were about ADHD. Now I can tell you in that moment, I had a little bit of like, man, I guess what I had to say on stage wasn't very important. Because <laughs> I, I talked for a long while and gave this great presentation, and yet the thing that everyone was asking about was this idea of you know, people thanking me for owning it and not shying away. And, you know, I remember, you know, it was about the fourth or fifth person in line, and uh, as she walked up, she had FaceTime on her phone, and she's like, you know, and she gave me a hug and said, you know, I would love for you to talk to my son on this phone. And I was like, you know, it was very awkward, right? You're in a giant arena, 20,000 people are exiting a room, there's 60 people along a wall, and a mom has her, her, her uh, teenage son on FaceTime. And I, and I kind of like stood next to her and was trying to hear him. And I was like, well, actually, can I just hold the phone? And I, I held the, the phone as her son's on FaceTime. And she was telling me that, you know, he was, you know, I think he had just turned 20. And he was struggling because uh, he was diagnosed with his own individual superpower. And he was diagnosed and he felt, you know, kind of shunned. He felt ashamed that what he's kinda, he was kind of going through and she wanted me to talk about like you know how did i you know get the courage to 
you know, admit that on stage? And, and how did I look into it as a superpower? And we had a cool little conversation, and I feel bad for the people that were after us in line. But we had this conversation, and, and part of the conversation was, you know, the idea that we, we all remember the days growing up of just wanting to be normal, just wanting to fit in. Right? Like, how can we just not, you know, fit in, right? How can we be the kid that, you know, that we just like, hey, we, we roll with everyone else, right? We don't stand out. We don't have, you know, we're not drawing all of the attention. Yet, as we all, you know, emerge as adults, as, as humans in this world, the interesting thing here on Clubhouse is I think every single day there's a room about standing out, about being yourself, about the importance of individuality and being unique. And I think as we get older, we realize that our value is not in being the same as everyone else. Our, our value is truly in stepping into what makes us all great, which is that un the unique individual perspective that only we have. But as a teenager, that's not something that we're thinking about. It's not something that's ingrained in our culture. And I, and I remember being on the phone with this, with this kid, and, and I looked at him, and I said, you know what, man? I was like, parts of the journey. And I would never tell someone else how to handle their diagnosis, but I made a promise to him. I made a promise to him right there on the side of that stage. I said, you know what? I want you to think about all the things in life, the things you enjoy, the things that make you who you are. And I want you to think of them not about which one of them are aligned with your, your vulnerability or your diagnosis. Rather, which one of those things, you know, get you excited about getting up for the day? Or which one of those things allow you to be memorable? And I said, you know, I want to make a promise to you. I was like, I'm going to wear my ADHD like a badge of honor. I'm going to wear it like it's a cape, like it's, it's my Superman crest. As long as you're willing to be, step into your greatness, well, as long as you're willing to step in to that, that diagnosis, that, that piece that you're going through. And I remember him laughing. He's like, you're going to wear it like a, a, a superhero? And I, I realized at that point I was a little geeky and out of touch at this teenager and talking to this, you know, 34-year-old guy who just got off stage that his mom is a fan of. And I told him, I was like, hey, let's connect on social media. Let's, let, let, let's connect. But I'm going I'm gonna own that. And I'll tell you, for the last six years, every single time I've taken the stage around the world, 76 countries I've had the opportunity to, to travel to and speak to, in my bio, it says, Brian Fanzo, ADHD superpowered. And every single time that I create a new profile on social media, every time someone is a new client of mine, they're introduced to my ADHD. If you're a client of mine, you'll know what 1.40 p.m. is, which the interesting part of that is a little tease and preview here for those that are listening. Uh, starting next week, I'm excited to kind of join the Breakfast fam uh, of Champions family and I'll be doing my own segment uh, on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern time here uh, on the East Coast. And 1.40 p.m. is uh, no mistake there is 1.40 p.m. is when my alarm goes off to take my second dose of Adderall. And my clients are familiar with it. My daughters are familiar with it. And it's because there's irony in the fact that I'm diagnosed with a focus disorder. My brain works differently. Yet I have to remember to take medicine twice a day. Yeah, I think someone was messing with us with, uh, with ADHD. They were like, hey, how do we medicate and help people with ADHD? Let's, let's have them take something that they have to remember twice a day. And oh yeah, you have to get the medicine refilled every, every 30 days as well. So at that 1.40 p.m. moment, that time is an important time for me because it's one that I need help for my community to remind me 
to, to take my medicine that, that helped that help me you know, kind of understand my own brain. And I think it's you know, no mistake that the segment that I'm doing here uh, in this uh, amazing club is also during that same time. And, and I share that because I've, I, from that day, standing on the side of that stage talking to this mom who had her son on FaceTime, I made that commitment to him, but really it was a commitment to myself. And I want to challenge everyone to make that commitment to themselves to look at their vulnerabilities. Look at those things that you were told that were wrong with you, the things that you were told that, you know, how do you fix that? And start thinking about it from a standpoint of not what is wrong, not what is broken, rather, what about those things allow us to be what no one else can be? Allow us to step in to the aspects of who we are at our core. For me on that day, I, I stepped into it. But the interesting thing about it was, I mentioned I sat down with my mom there in Arizona, and it was about a year after I started owning my ADHD superpower. And my mom said, Brian, I have something to show you. I have something to talk to you about. And what ended up coming out of this conversation, and, and I, will, I will keep it short on this part as I, as a, to avoid a little, being a little bit emotional, is that my mom in 1992 was told her oldest son of three, you know, had something wrong with him, right? He, he was gonna, you know, struggle through school. He was going to, you know, need a lot of help. And the interesting thing was when my mom got this diagnosis and she went back to her friend group in 1992, that friend group explained to her that, you know, if you're medicating your kid or you're putting this label on him, you're going to scar him for life. Only bad parents medicate their children. Do you want to be labeled as a bad parent at every school, at every soccer game? And so in 1992, my mom, who's one of the strongest people in my life, put it in her back pocket, and so much so that she didn't remember, even as her youngest son, my youngest brother, and I was diagnosed. It was, I found out on that day that I was actually diagnosed 11 years old as ADHD. But the stigma around vulnerabilities and people being human back in that day, you know, bullied my mom into not only not, you know, allowing me to understand who I was at my core, but to put it away and, and for her to just bury that memory, bury that idea. And so I, I mentioned when we started that at 31, you know, I walked out of a doctor's office and my life changed because I went from broken to super powered. But I can promise you it was not that easy. And as Glenn shared before in Rise and Grind, there is an element of you know, how do we all show up? How do we all look at ourselves and continue to evolve? And, and my evolving didn't happen just as that day leaving the doctor's office. I left the doctor's office with a monkey off my back, but then I, I entered a stage and asked, answered a question where a kid on FaceTime with his mom empowered me to realize that I need to be someone that owns my vulnerability and puts them out to that world. And it wasn't until a year later when my mom realized that there, my mom you know, let me know that I was diagnosed at 11 years old. And I just spent the next 20 years 
wondering why no one would help me out or understand what was going on with me. And so I challenge everyone here as we look at our lives, as we look at our ability to evolve and step into our greatness and step into who we are, there is one thing that I want us to always look at, especially as we come out of this you know, global pandemic, as we surround ourselves with great people doing great things, is that our vulnerabilities are our superpowers. We aren't in middle school or high school anymore. We don't have to believe or you know, try to convince ourselves that our goal is to be like everyone else. Our goal is to fit in. Our goal is to really recognize when we look into that mirror every morning and every evening as we go to bed, that the person looking back at you is the only person you have to worry about making happy, is the only person you have to own and continue to evolve and get better. And so yes, on that day 31, at 31 years old, my life changed, but it didn't change overnight, and it's still changing nine years later as I, I learned to embrace and step into my ADHD. My daughter, my middle daughter, I have three. I, I haven't got on the, the, the Lundy train of, of that many kids yet. But I have my middle daughter who is nine years old. She has diagnosed ADHD and dyslexia as, my, as myself as well. And I feel like I got a second chance. I got a second chance because not only am I owning my own superpower, but now I'm able to see this, this superpower through the lens of being a dad. And I think there is something amazing about each and every person here. Every person here that's listening to this, every person that gets up morning, every person that, that opens this, this amazing app, there is an opportunity for us to realize that we have a story to tell. We, we might feel broken at times. We might feel like we're on top of the world at times. But there are moments and things in our lives that are shaping us to become great humans and do things that no one else believes that we can do. And so... As you look back on life, as we look forward on life, I challenge everyone to step into those vulnerabilities. Own the things that make you unique. Realize that our superpowers and our beautiful opportunity to impact this world. It is not about convincing everyone that you are an expert. It is not proving to everyone here, especially on Clubhouse, that you deserve the microphone. It's rather sharing the one thing that each of us has that makes us unique and special. And that is our perspective. Our perspective on life, our perspective on topics, and our perspective on making an impact on the world. I hope this inspires everyone to take that journey. I hope you'll join me starting next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time as I uh, you know, launch a new segment here. And uh, I, I really, truly uh, appreciate the honor. I had a great time in New York. And Sarah and Glenn, I love what you guys are creating here on Breakfast of Champions. This is Fanzo, cheers. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table. <laughs>